1: Recorded live. You're
2: listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
1: Hi and happy holidays everybody. This
3: is Faith Hill for RAD, recording artists, actors, and athletes against drunk driving. Please remember during this holiday season when you celebrate, designate. Always choose a designated driver. Your friends and family will thank you for it. Have a safe and happy holiday, and remember, friends, don't let friends drive drunk.
4: A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Psalm 25 of David. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful toward those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? Who will instruct them in the ways they should choose? They will spend their days in prosperity, and their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Deliver Israel, O God, from all their troubles.
5: Okay.
4: Hi, this is Donnie McQuiggan,
6: and I've got a personal note that I'd really like to drop in your spirit today. I want you to understand the blessings of God and how they're supposed to enhance our lives. Blessings are not always financial, but the Bible says in Proverbs 10 and 22, it says, The blessings of God makes us rich and adds no sorrow. This richness that it's speaking of deals with our lives being full, our lives being complete, our joy being prevalent. Notice us being seen as someone who profits in God the richness of God deals with a soul that is healed a spirit that is in touch with Jesus our lives being rich is having our family whole as having our friends close and even our enemies reconciled the blessings of God makes us rich and will take your sorrows away
5: I mm-hmm. you. No, I am.
2: This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. And good morning. This is your early morning gospel program. Morning inspirations. On Top Shoe and Jam Radio. Turn off our morning prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Saying thank you. Guess Lord, first of all, for any sense that's been done knowingly and unknowingly. I would lift up those Lord who,
1: who I knew. Those who are homeless. We don't know
2: where where to go. Especially these days are getting colder. Getting cooler and cooler and colder. I'm afraid they'll find a warm place somewhere. I'm going to stop those in the hospital. Those in the hospice. Those who lost the loved ones this, this last night or this morning. I'm gonna stop down with the who are who are crap. Those who those who don't stop those young ladies who's, who who own these streets so many bodies. Have mercy. We lift up pastors and ministers to you who are get ready to preach your word, Lord. We lift up those who are going to Sunday school and church this morning. Give them traveling, family mercy, Lord. And anyway, we thank you. We lift up those who are behind prison walls. We lift up those on death row. We lift up our men, women, and own forces. We lift up our government to you, Lord. Our country. We lift them up to you as well. We lift up those, Lord, who who are stranded right now our uh, country, Lord, don't know how to get back home. Bless our family, our friends, our church family, our neighbors, Lord. Bless our pastor and his family. We thank you, Lord. Such finesse, Lord. Top of his silver feet. Bless this house, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for all your many blessings, and, Lord. We lift up the Capshaw and Jan Radio family. We thank you. As the servants, trying to do Your will, we thank you, Lord, for this, for this time. all these blessings, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. We're going to be back at the top of the hour. Day one is up next. morning, Gospel program. Morning expressions. Thanks for tuning in.
7: leave our place. We have to leave home. To leave home means that we move from what we know to what we do not know. To leave home means that we are willing to embrace what is unfamiliar for the sake of a new way of life. That's the Reverend Dr. Tripp Martin,
8: and today he brings you an inspiring message of faith and hope. I'm Peter Wallace. This is Day One.
3: Today One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. (music) Now, here's our host, Peter Wallace, to introduce this week's speaker.
8: Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day 1, we're pleased to have with us the Rev. Dr. Tripp Martin, who is pastor of Vineville Baptist Church in Macon, Georgia. Before coming to Vineville in 2009, Tripp served as an associate pastor at Northminster Baptist Church in Jackson, Mississippi for almost seven years. Tripp has a Bachelor of Business Administration from the University of Georgia, where he also worked at First Baptist Church in Athens, Georgia. He earned his Master of Divinity degree from Wake Forest University and is Doctor of Ministry from the McAfee School of Theology at Mercer University. Tripp, welcome to day one. Thank you, Peter. It's good to be here. You've been serving as pastor of Vineville Baptist Church in Macon, Georgia, since 2009. What would you say is most
7: fulfilling to you about the
8: congregation
7: you serve? I think it's the weekly rhythm, uh, how the church intersects people's everyday lives, uh, visitation in the hospital, uh, the news of a baby that is born, uh, or just the simple stresses uh, that people deal with at work, uh, or even uh, more water-cooler conversations, the everyday information about what's happening in their lives, that you get a chance to be a part of their lives through the rhythm of the church. And you have written
8: a ministry statement that says, I believe ministry is deficient, if not genuine. Church is lacking without shared community Faith is unfinished without serving people's needs, and a minister is incomplete, if not compassionate. Profound goals for all of us, but how do you try to fulfill
7: those goals through your
8: life and ministry?
7: Well, I wrote that my last year in seminary. Uh, It was a practice suggested to us uh, by a professor, and it was very helpful to help me reflect uh, and really focus on what is most essential, not just what is urgent in each week, the task that we really need to get to, but what is most essential. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I find myself uh, many times in the midst of a busy day having to make that difficult choice between what seems very urgent and what is absolutely essential, whether it's responding to a phone call from a member of the church uh, in distress uh, someone who has just knocked on the door of the church uh, walking down the sidewalk uh, with a particular need or even making a choice about what a passage is saying to us in worship. So I think to have those essentials in front of me help as a guide for me in everyday ministry.
5: Mm-hmm.
7: And you like to
8: encourage your church to consider its connection with a broader church around the world. How do
7: you do that? Well. I think one way is through the rhythm of the liturgical calendar, uh, knowing that uh, we are following the seasons that are held in common uh, by the church at large. Uh, Also, uh, preaching from the lectionary. Uh, There is a spiritual discipline to that, uh, where when we gather on Sunday morning on the Lord's Day, uh, that we gather around a passage or passages of Scripture Uh, that Christians around the world are are thinking about and looking at the very same day. As part
8: of your pastoral internship process, you spent some time in several places, but one of which was the country of Wales. How was that
7: experience for you? It was a wonderful experience on several levels. One, on a very personal one, my aunt, Dr. Karen Smith, Uh, is a church historian, uh, a Baptist historian, and also a Baptist pastor uh, at a church uh, in Neath, Wales. Uh, So on a personal level, it was wonderful to work alongside of her. On a broader level, I was able to experience Baptist life in a very different context, where the Baptist tradition really uh, holds on to its roots of being nonconformist, that sense of religious liberty born out of that uh, situation so many years ago with the Church of England, and it still has such bearing on who they are today. To be a minority voice uh, I think helps you look at uh, Scripture differently and the traditions of the Church differently uh, in a way that is surprisingly enriching. Tripp, I like to ask this frequently of our preachers, but how did you experience your calling to ministry? I was uh, late uh, in high school as a teenager, and sitting in church on Sunday morning or attending youth group, just found myself uh, starting to picture myself as a minister, Mm. which at first I was not uh, too excited about. My grandfather is a pastor, my aunt is a pastor, uh, and I feared that my sense of calling may be simply tied to my uh, admiration of them, my uh, close proximity to watching their work. Uh, So I started to picture myself doing anything but ministry. But over the course of a couple years, uh, I never felt myself satisfied or fulfilled when I imagined myself doing something different. So I finally uh, allowed myself to be at peace With seeing myself in that way And then once I did that Over the course of another year or so I really couldn't imagine myself Doing anything differently
8: Well today many churches observe Christ the King Sunday Also known as the reign of Christ Why do we focus on this aspect of Jesus On this Sunday?
7: Well Christ the King Sunday Was not part of the earliest calendar But it was still part of the early calendar Nonetheless And it's a wonderful ending to uh, the life of the church, looking at it from a time perspective. Because next Sunday, we begin the first Sunday of Advent, a time of expectation and waiting for the coming of the birth of Christ, uh, which always anticipates the rest of the life of Jesus, which, of course, uh, ends at Good Friday and the glory of Easter Sunday, leading into the life of the church at Pentecost. And I think it is fitting that the end of the year ends with the vision of Christ as king, uh, which is born out of his ministry and about the hope of redemption that we find in God for the world.
8: Your sermon is based on the gospel lesson from John chapter 18.
7: Would you read that for us? Then Pilate entered the headquarters again. So
8: during his trial before the Roman authority, Pontius Pilate, and just before the crucifixion, Jesus tries to explain the kingdom he represents, and he he seems to confuse Pilate, and maybe a few of us too, but what's your take on Jesus' response here to Pilate's
7: questions? I think that in many ways, it embodies sort of the larger method that Jesus uses in teaching. We see it in the parables, in many of the stories that Jesus uses that it is a question that is almost unanswerable in mere words. I think we find the answer uh, in the mystery of the Incarnation, what the whole Gospel of John is trying to convey, that the Word became flesh, and that it is only in listening with different ears and looking with different eyes uh, that we can discover the kingdom of God in the life of Jesus. We look forward to hearing your
8: sermon. It's entitled, Leaving Home. Tripp, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter.
1: we walked through the front yard up to the three familiar brick steps that led up to the front door of the
7: house, I always tried to peek into the sunroom to see if I could catch a glimpse of my grandfather sitting at his desk. It was where he spent most of his time. We would then knock on the door and wait, for it takes a while to answer the door when you are over 90 years old, but as soon as the door opened, I knew exactly what my grandfather was going to say. Are the boys from Richmond County finally here? We had driven all the way from Augusta, Georgia to Atlanta, just a little over two hours away, but he always made it sound like we had driven from the other side of the country. Paul, Paul always teased us to make us feel welcome, and it worked. He gave us a hard time because we were from Augusta, as if it was a faraway land. He probably teased us because we liked him teasing us. So each time we stepped over the threshold of the house and whenever we left, I could still hear his voice. You boys are all right, even though you are from Richmond County. I knew he was just teasing, but every time we left the house, I always wondered what it meant to be from a place. How does a place shape us? How does it get deep down inside of our bones where it is always a part of us. No matter where I go, I will always be a boy from Georgia. Our place says something about who we are. Jesus knew full well the implications of that question. From the beginning of the Gospel of John to its very end, people are concerned with where Jesus is from, because they are concerned about who he is. We can still hear the incredulous voice of Nathaniel. Philip had come to Nathaniel putting his hands on Nathaniel's shoulders and looking him straight in the eyes, letting him know that he had important news. He said, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. But Nathaniel could not believe it. From Nazareth? Are you sure? Without even thinking, the words came out of his mouth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? This same question comes up again at the end of Jesus' life, this time when he is standing before Pilate. Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? But this was not Pilate's real question. Pilate's real question was, what is the truth? Jesus had come to testify to the truth, So it begged the question, but throughout the entire conversation, there is only one real answer that Pilate receives. My kingdom is not from here. The truth was difficult to see because Jesus is not from here. To be from a place means that it is part of who we are. Jesus was from Nazareth, which was about 15 miles west of the Sea of Galilee and it was about 20 miles east of the Mediterranean Sea. It was west of Mount Tabor at about 1,300 feet above sea level. But when Jesus was asked about the truth, Pilate was not seeking information readily available on the yellow pages of Nazareth. It was not a question about his hometown. It was a question about a new way of life. As a good friend once told me, It is hard to be a small-town boy with a big city haircut. You look the part, but you feel out of place. Falling off of the turnip truck in the big city entails a learning curve because the way of life is different. The rhythm of each day is foreign. The buildings are so tall. The crowds are so thick. The pace is so fast. Basic questions are baffling how do you hail a taxi cab? Are the sandwiches at the sidewalk lunch cart safe to eat? Will the doorman really keep my packages when they are delivered? Where do I walk my dog? The way of life is different. The disciples knew this much. They were a diverse group, trying to get used to a new way of life. There was Simon Peter, who was always quick to He proclaimed Jesus as the Christ, but he also denied Jesus three times as well. But then there was Thomas, who kept quiet until he was absolutely sure of what to say. He needed to see the scars on Jesus' hands before he could speak up about the resurrection. There was Andrew and Philip, who brought a group of Greeks at Passover to meet Jesus for the very best reasons. But then there was Judas who brought people to see Jesus for the worst reasons. Then there was Matthew, the tax collector, whom we know all about. Jesus said, follow me, and Matthew followed. But then there was Matthias, who is mostly unknown and chosen by casting lots in order to replace Judas. They were all learning how to follow and how to lead, how to wash people's feet and how to dust off their sandals how to feed large, hungry crowds, and how to drink from one single cup. They were a diverse group, trying to get used to a new way of life. All of them were different, but they all had one thing in common. They all knew what it meant to leave home. They had left home to follow Jesus, not just leaving a place, but also leaving to follow a new way of life. It is difficult to leave home, like the t-ball player who reared back, swung as hard as he could, and then got his first hit of the season. He watched as the ball rolled down the third base line. Everyone cheered and pointed at first base, but he just stood in one place. If we want to understand the truth about the kingdom of God, we have to leave our place. We have to leave home. To leave home means that we move from what we know to to what we do not know. To leave home means that we are willing to embrace what is unfamiliar for the sake of a new way of life. I can still remember standing at the front of the sanctuary on the third step leading up to the pulpit, looking out at the congregation, looking at me. All of the first graders were lined up on the third step. I can still see the bright red carpet on the floor and the balcony overhead. I stood there with a new Bible in my hand with my name on it, a gift from the church. It was a place where I felt at home. I had grown up in that church. People called out my name in the hallway. I knew where people sat in the sanctuary. I saw familiar faces every week. But that morning, the church said something strange. It gave us a Bible and said, take this with you wherever you go, little did I know that I would eventually leave home. We do not have to travel far in order to leave home. Sometimes it is a matter of a few miles where we encounter something new that teaches us about following Jesus. We come to learn that the Bible is not a cul-de-sac where the journey ends. Rather, it is a busy intersection that sends us out In all directions, pointing us to the living God, so we see the world with new eyes. Jesus is not from here, but he came with a way of life that is bound to the needs of others. He came because of the brokenness of the world. So we begin to fully understand the gospel of Christ when we listen to the gospel through those needs, which always call us beyond our place. We are always thankful for our home. It will always be a part of who we are. I am thankful that I am a boy from Georgia. But when I stood on the steps of the church and it placed a Bible in my hands, it was inevitable. The church knew then that the kingdom of God is not from here. So they knew I would leave home, even if I never moved away. They knew what I did not know. They knew that seeking the kingdom of God meant discovering a larger world of discipleship and grace. We leave home and discover the grace of discipleship and the discipleship of grace. We live what Kathleen Norris calls a vowed life. Our baptismal vow, our commitment to follow Jesus, widens our world, as in all of our commitments, to our spouse, to our friends, to our work, to the church, they widen the circle. It may seem as if our vows narrow our lives, making a single commitment, but they widen the circle of our lives. They give our lives focus, but they widen them. As in the words of Ruth, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God our vows widen our lives to include another we learn to live each day with gratitude for where we are from but we widen the circle to include our neighbor and the stranger to include empathy and hope to include the poor and the hurting to include forgiveness and grace to include our friend and enemy We live with a new innocence and integrity, humility and hope, grace and gratitude, faith and forgiveness, widening the circle of our lives. For Jesus is not from here. We seek the kingdom of God where Christ reigns, who came from another place in order to transform this one. Gracious God, we are thankful for the places where we are from and the people they have made us. We are grateful for how those places have taught us, led us, and loved us. As we hear the voice of your calling, give us the strength and the courage we need to follow Jesus. Lead us to new places where we discover the grace of discipleship and the discipleship of grace. Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
3: Now Trip Martin offers some final reflections on today's message with our host, Peter Wallace.
8: Trip, you offered a reflection about how place shapes us, how where we are from is always a part of who we are. Would you say more about how we should live in light of where we're from?
7: I think we always have to bless our roots Mm -hmm. uh, to know the strengths of what we have been given, uh, that no church is perfect, no family or mentor uh, or friend is perfect. But there are great strengths to find there that as we leave home and follow a sense of calling, uh, discovering uh, new lessons about God and the life of Jesus, that we always hold on to those strong roots that we have been blessed with.
8: And in light of this, you consider Jesus' interaction with Pilate in which Jesus says his kingdom is not from here. Pilate wasn't asking about his hometown of Nazareth. He was asking where Jesus is coming from with this strange truth. But we all have to wrestle with this question of what is the truth. How might we do that effectively?
7: Well, one occasion where I discovered the obvious, discovered something new about God is a trip that I took as a young person to Venezuela Hmm. on a mission trip. And I remember sitting in the worship service, and I discovered the obvious. It dawned on me that God speaks Spanish. (laughs) Uh, And it was in that moment that my world grew and got bigger. And because of that, since the world got bigger, God became bigger uh, as our creator. And I think what it did for me is I learned that the ground of our faith really is listening. It is opening our ears and our eyes in such a way that we have a different type of awareness, uh, that we see the people around us in new ways, that we see the obstacles between us and others in new ways, that we see the church in new ways, uh, that prayer and worship, preaching and service all come down to a sense of listening uh, that we may define as faith.
8: Jesus left home to fulfill his calling, as did his disciples, and all of us leave home in a variety of ways. And you said if we want to understand the truth about God's kingdom, we have to leave our place, leave home, move from what we know to what we do not know. And this isn't easy for a lot of us. But what are the consequences for
7: not doing so? Well, I think the consequences are real. They may not be real in the sense of, uh, we will not have a deep faith. Uh, we know God's love. I don't think it keeps us from those things. Mm-hmm. But I do think the consequences are real, uh, that it limits how much of God's love we may experience or offer to others. I think it may uh, keep us from offering compassion uh, and failing to give people uh, the kindness that we are called to show so I think those consequences are real, uh, sort of a deeper sense of uh, the mystery of God in our lives. Drib Martin, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Peter.
3: Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever. Now, here's day one host and president of the Alliance for Christian Media, Peter Wallace, with an important message.
8: As we approach another Christmas celebration and the beginning of a new year, please remember Day One in your year-end giving. Day One is the only radio program that proclaims the positive and passionate faith of the mainline churches. And only with your help can we continue to share the good news of God's love and grace on the air and online. So please consider giving generously. Send your gift to Day One. 644 West Peachtree Street, Suite 300, Atlanta, Georgia 30308. That's 644 West Peachtree Street, Suite 300, Atlanta, Georgia 30308. Or give securely online at day1.org. We are grateful for your support. And from all of us at day1, our best wishes to you in this season of hope and joy.
2: You're listening to the JAM Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Good morning, good morning to you.
5: You have to say, they the ones who's coming up, and the world is in their hands. When you teach them children, teach them the very
2: Good morning gospel program. The late Reverend Sammy singing Sammy Lewis. Good morning to you and yours. Thanks for listening, tuning in. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. He's a boy. we
9: The framers of the Constitution provided for a cabinet to be advisors to the president of the nation. They recognized that it would be beyond the ability and wisdom of any man to conduct the affairs of the government without counsel. For the conduct of most business enterprises and institutions of every kind, similar provisions, are made for executive committees and boards of directors to advise their governing heads. No man is considered sufficient unto himself for carrying on such undertakings, no matter how capable and wise he may be. Author John R. Gunn writes that greater than all other enterprises is the business of life. Here, as elsewhere, none of us is so all-knowing and all-wise that he does not need the counsel of others. Although it is well that we should think for ourselves, it is not safe to be too secure in our own wisdom and judgment. There may be a situation in which you are so closely involved as to cause your opinion and decision to be prejudiced. At such a time, it would be well to seek the unbiased counsel of one whose wisdom and judgment you respect. For our safety and the success of our purposes in life and business, all of us, old and young alike, need the benefit of a multitude of counselors. You will find this multitude in the Bible. Here, men and women of many centuries will teach you the errors which are fatal and the choices which are right. They and this marvelous book all point to the ultimate source of wisdom and counsel, our loving God and Father. Turn to Him in prayer. Be Still and Know, produced for the Presbyterian Church in the United States, closes with these words from Proverbs. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established.
3: If this radio spot were Nikki Baker's life, it would start pretty normal, like this. But But then, then, right right around here, her life would take a bad turn with her mother abusing her. And about this far end, Nikki would drop out of high school and run away. Yeah, she'd be forced to work two jobs struggling to support herself.
2: And her daughter.
3: She'd feel stuck. 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 But then, she'd decide to earn her GED diploma. She'd take my prep classes. Study every night and feels unstuck because she finally hears someone say
9: Nikki Baker come up and get your GED diploma.
3: If this radio spot for Nikki Baker's life the ending wouldn't be the ending at all it would be the beginning of a brighter future. For free info about GED test prep classes, call one 877 38 your or visit YourGED.org. GED is a registered trademark of the American Council on Education. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.
10: Was there really a worldwide flood
8: as we read about in the Bible? This is the Creation Moments Minute. Today, it is considered scholarly to reject the Bible's account of a worldwide flood. Some say the flood recorded in the Bible was only a local event. The problem with these scholarly claims is that there were too many witnesses who disagree with them. We can test these scholars' claims. If the Bible's account of a worldwide flood is true, it was witnessed by every person on earth. The story of this event would have been passed down to their descendants and spread across the whole face of the earth. Researchers have cataloged some 270 stories of an ancient, destructive flood in various cultures around the world. A large majority of these stories have been shown to predate any Christian influence. We'll take a look at some of those tomorrow. For Creation Moments Minute, I'm Darren Marlar. Hi, welcome to the ocean. I've sailed the seven seas a
0: hundred times and found something I like even more than me treasure. Tis the ocean, beautiful and clear. Right now, I'd be sailing over the Great Barrier Reef. It just shivers me timbers, thinking of all the fish and coral below me. Wait, what's that floating by? The plastic bag! Why, Blackbeard's eye patch, that's disgusting! Why did you know that many of these things come from folks throwing them carelessly on the ground? It would be true! Lend us a hand by always recycling, disposing of your trash properly. Boys, get the plank ready. Somebody's gotta dive in and get that bag. Any volunteers? All right, fine. I'll do it myself. Cannonball! Find out what you can do to help keep the ocean healthy at keepoceansclean.org. Brought to you by the Keep Oceans Clean Alliance and the Ad Council.
2: You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
6: really like to drop in your spirit today. I want you to understand the blessings of God and how they're supposed to enhance our lives. Blessings are not always financial, but the Bible says in Proverbs 10 and 22, it says, the blessings of God makes us rich and adds no sorrow. This richness that it's speaking of deals with our lives being full, our lives being complete, our joy being prevalent and noticeable us being seen as someone who profits in God. The richness of God deals with a soul that is healed, a spirit that is in touch with Jesus. Our lives being rich is having our family whole, as having our friends close, and even our enemies reconciled. The blessings of God makes us rich and will take your sorrows away.
9: Hey, Nick Cannon here. So, of course, we all know there's lots of talent in America. But unfortunately, there's something else we've got way too much of. Childhood hunger. 17 million kids struggle with it in this country. But here's the thing. This problem is entirely solvable. Seriously, we already produce more than enough healthy, nutritious food in this country to feed every single last one of those hungry kids. We just need a way to get it to them. That's why the Feeding America Nationwide Network of Food Banks is out there every day gathering surplus food to give hope to hungry kids and their families all across the country. But they need your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank at feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're Feeding America.
1: A message from Feeding America and the outcome. Wonderful
5: God, so wonderful. He's wonderful,
1: God, He's so wonderful. No! Hey.
10: That put you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live. In rebellion to you. Anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart. And I invite you into my life. To be my savior. And my Lord. I believe. Jesus. You are the son of God. I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Hallelujah. Say. Say. Say.
11: Say. Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way. There is no other message. For there is no other way. There is no other message. Oh, come to him. Come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sins. Come to him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his, and infinite, upon his infinite grace. And his and his infinite grace. grace. And cast yourself wholly to him. And you too will enter into that joy of sins forgiven, peace with God eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ, our Lord.